You're listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. A number of years ago, um, Bron and I went down to Station Pier in Port Melbourne. And uh, there we were looking up at what possibly could become our new home. It was a 6,000 tonne, 130 metre ship. And a little bit like buying a new car, you know, you want to walk around it and kind of kick the tyres and make sure that this, this thing is actually going to be um, a viable means of transport. Well, likewise, as we looked at the, the ship, we're sort of making sure that it wasn't listing too much, it didn't look like it was going to fall over and sink. And, and as we walked up the gangway and around on board, we were hosted um, beautifully by the crew on board. And... And um, we were sort of nudging ourselves, thinking, could this be it? Could this be it? Could this be our, our new home? And we were really kind of spying out the land, as you might say, of trying to get a sense or a feel of what God might have for us. And it was, um, it was an re- intriguing time, filled with mystery, as, as often it is when God is leading you to a, to a new place. One of the things we actually came away saying to ourselves, well, we came away saying was, it actually smells. It really does have this this dank, musty, musty smell. But um, um, we were exploring what might be our new home. Now, it seems one of the traits of God's people is that He He constantly um, keeps us moving, doesn't He? There is always growth to take place. It doesn't matter where we are. God wants to take you from that place to somewhere else. He, I guess, is a is is a good, good father, but he's an agitating one too. He loves to kind of keep us moving. And that is because we aren't where we are supposed to be yet. Uh, we're all on a, on a journey, and, and maybe you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know that you're on a journey. It might be a journey in personal growth. It might be a journey of discovery. It might be a, be a journey of wondering where in the world you might serve God. It might be a journey of, of learning to, to love your neighbor. It might be might be a journey of finding out new things about God's character. But whatever that journey is, is for you, you will probably resonate with, with this thought, and that is that I just feel a little bit of fear and trepidation because I haven't been here before. And that's it's true. When God has us on a, on a journey, something new, we haven't been that path before. We haven't walked this road we don't know what's in store. We don't always know entirely what the journey is going to entail. And, and so we find ourselves um, sometimes a, a little bit afraid and a little bit fearful. Naturally, we want to know what is ahead. And the, the natural instinct to spy out the land is very, very real. But before you go and, and try and spy out the land and find out what it is that God has in store for you, you need to know what to look for. We're going to look at a a passage in Joshua um, tonight, um, entitled probably in many of your Bibles as Rahab and the Spies. And you might immediately think, oh, yes, I know that uh, that story. This is is the one the spies go into Jericho and so forth. Well, we're going to have a fresh look at it tonight. And I I pray and trust that that God will have some things to, to show you as we as we work through this. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn with me to Joshua. Um, chapter 2, and we're going to read a few verses. I'm going to stop and just have a look at that, then read a few more verses and, and go on in that, that sort of a fashion. But this is a story of, 
Rahab and the spies. And there's a couple of, couple of surprises. In fact, immediately there's a couple of surprises. Chapter 2, Joshua chapter 2, verse 1. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Now, in the NLT, that's translated Acacia Grove. And I frankly think that's a very good translation of the name of that town. But and no wonder the Acacias flourish there either. But this is where they were heading out from, these two spies. And they have these instructions from Joshua himself. Joshua says, so go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. For some reason, it, it seems that they had to pay special attention to Jericho. And so they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. And they stayed there. Now that's a surprise, isn't it? Right up they, there, firstly, can you have spies for God? That's a surprise, isn't it? God, does he call some of us to be spies? Well, yes, he does. Their, their job is a, a job of reconnaissance, to go, and to, to go into the land which God has promised them and to, to basically have a look around. But what are they looking for? We'll, we'll find out in a moment. But when they get to the town of Jericho, they go into a house of a prostitute. Now, you could be wondering, is this some strange scriptural vindication for going to such places? No, 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 not at all. In fact, look at it this way. You're a spy and you're going to a foreign town and you don't want to stand out. But something about your appearance, something about your dress and a little bit about your accent are kind of giveaways. And so where in that town are you going to fit in if you don't want to, want to stand out? Well, um, the house of a prostitute is the sort of place that, that foreigners would go. In, in towns, and Samson, it seems, did exactly the same thing. But in towns in those days, any foreigner coming through the gates, people are going to notice. The one thing, though, that they might excuse or they might overlook is the fact that you, you go down into the, the red light district or that part of town which most other people don't go to. And, and there, just perhaps, she might be able to get lost. So these spies, being spies, they are sneaky people, remember. That's, that's what they do. They head down to Rahab's place. However, it doesn't quite work out the way they might have thought. In verse 2, we read that the king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. They were on to them. And so the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house, because they have come to spy out the whole land. Verse 4, but the woman who had taken the two men and hidden them said, oh yes, the men did come to me, but I, I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had, we note here in brackets, she had actually taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. 
We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my brother, my mother and my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. And so the spies take, they get discovered and, and suddenly they're exposed. But they take cover in the house and, and are actually hidden by, by Rahab, the, the prostitute here. And again, the surprises keep, keep going. First surprise, that you can have spies for God. Second surprise, that these sneaky people go down and hide out in the, in the house of a, of a prostitute. The third surprise is that they find faith. Rahab's faith, they find faith in a foreign land. And as we look at this passage, there are many angles to come at this from, and, and many people, and rightly so in my opinion, remark on the incredible faith found in, in Rahab. In fact, later on, as you, you read the genealogies of Jesus, you find listed there, who? Rahab. There she, there she is in the, in the genealogy, and, and so she plays a very important role in in Scripture. But it seems that God, the Israelites' experience of God has been mostly on the east side of the Jordan up until this time, but it seems that God has already gone ahead of them, and they have found faith in a foreign land. Rahab, a woman of ill repute, has acknowledged who God really is. And it is a reminder to us that Rahab's life that God is not looking for your strengths or my strengths, but in fact, he's, he's looking for and he loves to use our brokenness. In fact, it seems often throughout Scripture that God is much more able to use brokenness than he is all of the wonderful gifts and strengths and capabilities that we have to offer God. And sometimes we can think in terms of the Christian life and ministry and so forth, that, well, wouldn't it go well if we just present God with a resume? Well, God, you know everything, but here's just a few things that I might make mention of about me. <laughs> Firstly, I have these spiritual gifts which you gave me, but just in case you've forgotten, this is what I have on offer for you. I have this experience and I, I have these abilities and so on and so on and so on. We try to impress God. What God is often looking for is simple brokenness, humility, meekness. That's what he can use. And, and in Rahab, he finds a particularly broken woman. And he is able to reveal to her his true nature, what it is he is about to do, and how she should respond in this particular situation. She 
by the grace of God, he's able to acknowledge who God is. And she says these remarkable words that show remarkable faith. The Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That's that we talked a few weeks ago a little bit about the anthropological insight of the, the excluded middle. Amongst the Canaanites and the people of this land, their gods were a god of the earth, but they didn't transcend life circumstances. She is essentially acknowledging here that your God, the one true God, he transcends all of this earthly stuff. He, he is God in heaven and he transcends it, but he's not aloof and distant. He's actually also God on earth too. He is intersecting with our needs and our circumstances here. And I can see how God is at work in this situation. It's an incredible acknowledgement. She surpasses the understanding of so many in in her day because this was revealed to her from, from God. And so the two spies here discover something interesting. Remember, they had to know what to look for. This isn't the first time that the nation Israel has sent out spies. Do you remember way back, they just uh, uh, fled Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and it seemed good to the people to send spies out into this, this land of promise. And it seemed good to Moses as well, so he permitted them to go. And they went out and they found that everything was huge. The grapes were huge. The bees must have been huge because it was huge quantities of honey that were available. The cows were probably huge because there was, there was, it was flowing with milk and honey, which could be sticky and messy. But anyway, they came back raving about this amazing land where everything was just an abundance and fruitful. And, and the problem was, but the people were huge as well. There's giants in the land. And on this occasion... It was the Israelites that were struck with fear, immovably so. And and so they kind of got stuck in a little bit of a holding pattern for about 40 years. So what's different on this occasion with sending out spies? Why do it again? What were the spies hoping to accomplish this time? I believe that it was sanctioned by Joshua because they were looking for something different. They weren't going there to spy out the land with the question in their heads, can we do it? Can we take this land? Can we defeat these armies? That was the question the last set of spies went out with and came back believing that we couldn't, resulted in fear and so forth. This time, though, I think the spies went looking to see where God was at work. They had experienced God in their midst on the east side of the Jordan. And here we have the Exodus part two, the crossing of the Jordan, just like the crossing of the Red Sea, now the crossing of the Jordan. This would take them into the promised land. And they go with this question in their heads, where is God at work? We've experienced God on the east side of the Jordan. He's been a part of our story on the east side. But up to this point in time, they had no west side story. But they're about to get one. They went looking for God. Is God on the west side? Can we find him here? And so they come back with this report in verse 24. They said to to Joshua, The Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. 
all the people are melting in fear because of us. They've concluded the land is ours. What a, what a different report to the last set of spies. The land is ours. The evidence, people are melting in fear. This time it is the people in the land that are fearful. Why? Because of an observation that, that Rahab had already made. Back in verse 8, the Lord has given you this land. And again in verse 11, the Lord your God is the God in heaven and on above and on earth below. The conclusion that they came to, seeing the faith that Rahab had exhibited, finding faith in a foreign land, was God was already there. God's there. In fact, it's kind of cheating, but if we flick over a couple of chapters, after the fall of Jericho, chapter 6, verse 27, this is the summary of God delivering Jericho into the hands of the Israelites. This is the summary. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame spread throughout the land. The Lord was with Joshua. God was present with Joshua. God was present with the Israelites. God was already in the land that they were about to go to so they could go with confidence. The presence of God was such a precious thing. We read about it in, in Exodus chapter, chapter 33. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about that moment where Moses would, would exit his tent and he would go to his tent of meeting. And he would get up, and as he walked down the, the corridor of tents to the tent of meeting, everyone else would come out of their tent and look too. <gasps> there goes Moses. Moses would go down to the tent of meeting. God would come upon that place. There would be this, this cloud which represented the presence of God that would, would come and cover over the presence of the tent. And then when it was time for Moses to, to leave, the, the cloud would lift and Moses would walk back and... Everybody was amazed. Here is our leader spending time in the presence of God. And then there's this little footnote. But Joshua, Moses' aide, Joshua, son of Nun, remained in the tent. See, Joshua had come to understand the importance of the presence of God. And whilst Moses might have to go back to work, kind of he figured, you know, all right, so my mentor's got to get back to work. Uh, Moses, you go on. I might, just, <laughs> I might just wait back here a little bit and just soak up the presence of the Lord. Straight after that passage, uh, it goes on to talk about this conversation that Moses is having with God. Yeah, I like it. I like it. it. It really touches me in terms of my leadership function, in terms of the church. Moses asks this question, God, you've, you've told me to lead these people, but what you haven't told me is, now I don't know how you would finish that sentence, but a lot of leaders, <clears throat> a lot of other leaders might finish it, you've told me to lead these people, but you haven't told me where to go, or you haven't told me how to get there, or you haven't given me a blueprint, or you, you haven't shown me the strategy, or you haven't, do you know what Moses says? You've told me to lead these people, but you, you haven't told me who is going to go with me. The cry of Moses' heart was, God, I need your presence. I need a, 
I need an affirmation from you, an encouragement from you. I want to know that you're going to go with me, right? You've called me to lead these people. Please tell me you're coming with me. Because if you're not with me, then, then how are we to be distinguished from any other nation on earth? How are we different to any other nation? Surely it's your presence amongst us that makes us different. It's beautiful, isn't it? I love the leadership heart of Moses, coveting the presence of God. God, we need you in our presence. Please, you have to be with us as a nation. You define us. Me as your leader or the leader of this nation, the leader you have chosen, you have to be with me or else I've got nothing else to offer. Oh, I long for your presence, God. It's incredible. And who did he mentor? Joshua. Joshua knew what a precious thing the presence of God was. So imagine how he must have been uplifted when the spies come back with this story of faith found in a foreign land, the faith of Rahab, and they come back across the Jordan and they tell the whole story. Essentially, Joshua, you got nothing to fear. Just as God is with, has been with us on the east side of the Jordan, we're already seeing God at work on the west side. You can trust him. He's going to be with us. He's given us this land. Man, that must have built up his confidence. And I don't know what the west side represents for you. What is the, the unexplored land in your life that, that God is, is currently leading you towards? Stepping up in an area of growth. Maybe, maybe you don't yet know God. Not personally. Not in a way where you could call him Heavenly Father. Maybe that's the unexplored land. Maybe you know him, but he's calling you to grow. That's the unexplored land. Maybe you know him, but he's calling you to go to an unexplored land. <laughs> Literally. But whatever it is, like Joshua and the spies and ultimately the nation of Israel, if you know to look for the right thing, then you should be encouraged by this story. You see, the spies were not supposed to look to see, could they do it? Could somehow they, they enter this land or attain this by themselves? That wasn't going to work. Didn't work last time. Wasn't going to work this time. Now, the truth was that they were to look to see where God was at work and how God would do it. And whatever that west side of your life is, that is yet unexplored, if you know that you can trust God to meet you there, then you should be encouraged by that and emboldened to go with it with all of your heart.
See, we need to look at new situations through the lens of God's capacity, not our capacity. Most of the time, the place that God is leading us to, humanly speaking, is impossible to get to. But what is impossible for us is possible for God. Many, many years ago, we, we left Bible college and, and there were three, three churches that we were looking at. Somebody was reminding me of, of this the other day because they sent greetings from from the pastor of one of the churches that we actually said no to. It was a, would have been a great little church down in, down in Geelong, and the senior pastor there, we were looking at a youth pastor position, the senior pastor there was a great guy. We, we seriously were thinking, we'd love, to, we'd love to go work down there. But we looked at these two other churches. One we struck off the list fairly early, and the other one was up in Queensland. It was a bit of a curious one, but we felt a, we felt a nudge that we should go check it out, so we flew up on a budget airline um, on one, t- one occasion, Bron, I, and, and Nat, who was six months old, he, he remembers nothing of it. Um, and, and we flew up and had about 11 meetings over a weekend. And uh, we, it was basically from one meeting to another. But the strange thing was that, that we'd go into one meeting and we'd hear this story. We'd go into another meeting and we'd hear a story that felt completely different. The next meeting, we'd hear, we'd hear this side of the story again. And then the next meeting, we'd hear that side of the story. And it soon became very evident that there were very two distinct sides to this church. It was not in a good place. And our last night there, we, we had some time to just chat about it. And we thought, there is no way that you would touch this church with a 10-foot pole. Man, whoever takes up this position is one sucker. And the next morning, one of the deacons was driving us out to the airport, and his name was Alan Woodward, a lovely guy, and he must have sensed our hesitancy because he, he said to us, he said, can I just level with you guys? He said, the church isn't in a good place. And... We made all the right noises. Oh, you know, is that so? And he said, to be quite honest, I can think of a hundred reasons why you wouldn't want to come and serve in this church. And we'd counted up at least a hundred. We possibly thought about 200. But, <laughs> but then he said something which pretty much changed everything. He said, but I can think of one very good reason why you should. And we looked at him and just listened. He said, there is an amazing bunch of youth and young adults in this church who are hungry after God. They just need someone willing to lead them. And he had us. (laughs) We hopped out of that car at the airport said our goodbyes, and we were pretty sure that we would see him again. You see, all weekend we had heard these stories which were at odds with each other, and, and we sensed the divide in the church, and we just thought, humanly speaking, if we look at this through the lens of our capacity, nobody could do this job. But what changed in that car ride to the airport was that 
Alan invited us to look through God's lens and God's capacity and the opportunity to be involved in something very exciting, and, and indeed it, it was. It was a very, very busy two years, but it was a wonderful two years of ministry. And quite a few of the leaders that, that um, we were training over that time are, are today in, in ministry, both, both serving overseas and in various churches as well. Um, you see, God, God met with us in a very special way over that time. And the place that God calls you to is a place that he intends to, to meet with you. When God calls us on a journey and he says, I want you to explore this uncharted territory of the West. I want you to come with me and I want you to come to a place you haven't been before and you've got every reason for saying, I really don't want to go there, God. But, but here's the thing. I'm calling you to this place because I want to meet with you there. And I want to show you something about myself that you probably won't discover by staying at home or staying where you are. Well, how did that happen for the spies? When they, when they got back and they gave their report, I can imagine it going something like this, talking over, over one another. And then we got into the city and we're really, really scared. And, and he said, why don't we go down to the red light district? And I said, are you crazy? And then we did. And then we, and da 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 talking over the top of one another. I can imagine that. I can imagine everybody sitting around listening intently to kind of, but then what happened? And where did you see God? And how did you meet with God? And I believe the meeting with God, remember the place that God calls you to is a place that God wants to meet with you. I believe the meeting took place in that moment when they were exposed. The king of Jericho found out these guys have come into the city and they've come to spy. Now what happens to spies? Usually they don't get the key to the city. It usually ends badly. So you can imagine them kind of thinking, uh-oh, what do we do? And then there's this lovely little note that Rahab had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax. Later on, and in terms of ensuring their safety, she gives them instructions. She says, letting them down, buy a rope through the window, head to the hill, stay there three days, and after three days, then you can go home safely, and so forth. But she strikes a deal with them. And she says, now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Please give me a sign. Here is a woman who finds it very, very difficult, and rightly so, to trust men. Here are two spies, also not known for their honesty and being upfront. And so she asks, please give me a sign. Tell me that you are going to keep your promise to me. I've looked after you. I've given you cover. 
I've given you shelter. Now, please, give me a sign that you'll do the same for me. You will look after me. You will give me cover. You will give me shelter. And what sign do they give her? They simply say, our lives for your lives. You let us live, we'll let you live. The sign that it's going to go well for you, the sign that it's going to be okay, is if we live, you will live. That was where God met them. The place he calls you to is a place he wants to meet with you. He met with them in that moment, I believe. It's a very, very special little treaty, covenant that they, they enter into. And then they go on to, to talk about the way in which she will be protected. And she's to, to tie a scarlet cord around, around her window, hanging out of the window, the wall of Jericho. Later on, we'll see the significance of that, but... But essentially, this scarlet cord, this red-colored cord, offers protection for her and for all those in her household who are under her roof. Now, remember there is a sense here in which this is part two of the Exodus. Just with, go with me for a minute back to part one of the Exodus. What happened before the escape to Egypt and before they crossed the Red Sea? Well, it was, it was Passover. Um, the last of the plagues, the angel of death was going to pass over Egypt and the firstborn in every family would die except for those households which over the threshold had the blood of the lamb painted over the threshold. The angel of death would pass over those, those households which were covered by the blood. Now here, as they cross the, the Jordan, here in Jericho is a, is a similar sign, protection for those who have faith in Jericho. For Rahab and her family, everybody who is under her roof, that household would be protected. As a scarlet cord hangs down outside her window, everyone under her roof would be covered, just as she had covered the spies. There they were up on the rooftop, covered with stalks of flax. They were covered, they were hidden, they were protected. God covered them. Because the place that God calls you to is a place in which he has you covered. God had covered them and now he would do the same for Rahab, just as he had done for all of Israel back in Egypt. He had them covered. And here is the, the lovely way in which the inspiration of Scripture works, God's superintendency of the, of the writing of Scriptures. Yes, it is a, it is a thread. This is this... This scarlet thread, a red thread, coming through these stories in only a way that God could, could author. The blood of the lamb over the, 
the doors there in those households in Egypt, covering each of the families of that place. Now here in Jericho, one family, one family of faith is found. The scarlet cord hanging out the window, covering all those under her roof. And then that thread, hidden throughout the ages, reappears again in the New Testament. And we understand that that thread is now the blood of Jesus, atoning for, covering over our sin. Enabling us to have relationship with God our Father. The blood of Jesus now covering us, covering over our sin. So that we could boldly approach the throne of God. Not by our righteousness, but by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Who covers us with his blood. Because the place where God leads you to is a place where he's already got you covered. You don't have to be afraid. He will not leave you exposed. He's not that kind of a God. Wherever it is he takes you, you can be assured that he has you covered. Let's pray, shall we? You've been listening to the Eltham Baptist Church Podcast. If you'd like to hear more or simply pay us a visit, go to www.elthambaptist.net.